Amen. Amen. If you are in an encounter with the Lord, please stay there. There is no pressure or rush to get off the floor or to do anything. If you want to stay there, you stay there. Thank you to the team for leading us so beautifully. If you are new to 24-7 or visiting today, I, I want to just share with you that um, we really believe with all our heart that the church first and foremost exists for the Lord. Uh, before, before for people or reaching people, that actually it's for Him. And our primary desire, our primary goal, our primary aim as a church is actually just to love Him because He loves us. To minister to Him, to bless His heart, to touch His heart. And so when we have times like this of worship where maybe we go past the song and we go past what was practiced, because just so you know, that wasn't practiced. That's just stepping into a place of just ministering to the Lord with the instruments and the voices. And together as a family, we begin to just love Him. We create a space that's unknown, but it's for Him. Amen? And um, the only time worship becomes boring is when we stop looking at Him. Amen? The only time when worship becomes dull is when we've stopped gazing upon the splendor and the beauty of who Jesus is. And uh, the beauty of being a Christian is that you don't only have physical eyes. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you actually have a spirit man who is encountering Jesus, who is one with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is leading us into revelation of who He is. So when we say, look at Jesus or behold Jesus, there are many times we have physical, literal encounters with Him. But majority of the time, it's actually our hearts beholding Him, knowing Him, receiving Him, believing in who He says He is. Amen. Amen. And if he, if he is who He says He is, which He is, then He's the most magnificent, beautiful, extraordinary vision that our lives could live for. Amen. Cool. You okay? Did you fall asleep in worship? You here with us? It was wild in the front. I hope you were engaging with us. We were gone. Uh, it's really difficult to stop those times. And, and I, I was just sitting with the Lord saying, God, I know more and more we're leaning into the days where you will just overtake. Um, and then we will just marinate in the glory of the Lord. And there are times when his glory comes and we cannot even stand. Um, and no man gets glory. And in this house, we want the leadership of Jesus. We want the headship of Jesus to be able to rest upon a people. Um, and if that sounds like Christianese, I'm so sorry. Um, but the reality is you, when you encounter him and when we become that as a people, it goes past language. You know, the, it's difficult. I, sometimes I feel like I want to learn multiple languages just to find a way to try and come close to, to attempting to describe him. It's like, this is why it's every tribe, every tongue, every language. Why is he a God of multiple languages? And I mean, how many of you know Jesus wasn't speaking English uh, in the Bible? Like, he wasn't. And he's not speaking English to our friends in Algeria. Um, he's speaking their own mother tongue, their own language. Why? Because there is such a diversity in, in how we, as the people of God, begin to come close to express the beauty, the worthiness, and the splendor of Jesus. We have to understand that it's why the vision of heaven is so exciting for us because in the throne room, it's not just a bunch of Jesus robots singing holy, holy, holy. It's not. We're all singing holy, but there are such explosions of diversity and color and every tribe and every tongue and every language and multiple sounds and there's angels and there's elders and there's us and there's, it's, it's this crazy phenomenon of glory 
And yet we think like, are we really going to just get to heaven and worship the whole time? That sounds really boring. It's only boring if we don't know who he is. It's only, amen. Okay. Anyway, so if you're, if you're visiting or new to 24-7, you're so welcome. Uh, we want to create a space, an atmosphere, and an environment on a Sunday when we gather like this, where the Lord is loved, where he's honored, and where he can be encountered. Um, we believe that Sundays, even though it can feel like it, it's not the central expression of the church. If it becomes that, then our Christianity becomes quite shallow. We become one day a week Christians. So these times is not the central expression of the church. It's just the biggest one. It's the one where we all get to be in the same room together. And I'll never forget, I share this often, my friend in, um, in Turkey, he's a Syrian refugee. He was about 18 years old. This is a couple years ago. He was about 18 years old when he asked me this question. And I'll never forget it. He said, hey, Connor, what's it like? And I said, what do you mean, what's it like? And he said, what's it like to be in a room with so many believers who all want to be there? What's it like to be in a room where everyone can sing at the top of their lungs together, where you're all hearing the word together, where you can, after the service, talk to that many people about the, the word? And it's because the only experience he's ever had of church is 10 people in a room. And so when he started to think, hold on, hundreds get together in the same room, and you all get to sing, and no one's going to come and stop you, and you all get to love him and worship him, and God can do anything in that room, and suddenly my heart began to shift, and I went, wow. Wow. I'll never again take for granted the gathering of the saints. I'll never again take for granted the, the, the joy that it is to be together right now in this room loving Jesus. And I think in, in our Western context, we can often become very distracted and taken by the things of this world and, and by situation and circumstance. And when we do get together, we become quite dull. Um, but I believe that when we yield to the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus, there is a, a sharpening and alertness and an awakeness, if I can say that, that happens to the church. Why? Because the presence of Jesus begins to electrify every fiber of your being, every cell in your body. Why? Because you were born for it. You were born to encounter him. You were born to minister to him. You were born to carry his presence. And we as the church have a mandate. And we are not going to sit back in this hour and just play church. We're going to be the church that Jesus has built and carry the mandate of the kingdom, be a people of his presence and see the great commission fulfilled. And that's what I'm going to give my life to. And that's what we as a, as a leadership team are giving our lives to. And, and that's what we as a church are giving our lives to. And so we're a part of something so much bigger than just Sunday mornings. Amen. Amen. And so please, I, I almost beg you, if I can say it like that, not to measure your Christianity by your church attendance. However, that would be a good thing to do come to church. But don't measure your Christianity by Sunday morning attendance. Do you know him? Do you, are you his friend? Is he your friend? And are you walking with him even in the midst of your stuff? Because <laughs> he's not intimidated by it. He's not standing away from your situation and circumstance. He's right there in the midst of it with you, and he loves you. And we've been in this series um, called God Encounters, and today's the last, last day of six weeks on this series. Um, and the reason why we've been talking about God encounters is because the God of the Bible is the God of encounter. He is a God who wants to be experienced. He's a God who reveals himself to people. He's not a God who hides himself away and says, let's see if you can find me. We've heard that in the church. We've heard it taught. It's not, it's not biblical. The God that we serve is the one who, he loves you so much, he wants to be in you. He wants to get so close, he made himself one with you. If we settle for an experienceless Christianity, we've missed the gospel. 
I'm not led by feelings and I'm not led by experiences. I walk by faith, not by sight, but I do expect to experience him. How can we believe in healing signs and wonders but never pray for the sick? Am I, am I shaken when I pray for someone and they don't get healed? No, I'm not the healer Jesus is. I'm just trusting him and being obedient. But if I don't pray for the sick, I obviously don't believe that he heals. And so the reality is, what do we believe? What do we believe about him? And that's what we're going to go after as a family. Amen. And so we've been in this, this series. Uh, today we're going to talk about a life that carries encounter. I want to ask you, if you've missed any of the six, please go back. You can find it on pretty much every possible platform. Um, go and listen to these sermons, work through them because we've been building on something. We've been looking at different people, men and women in the Bible. We've been leaning into how God always makes first contact. We've been leaning into the nature of God, that he is not a God who's hiding away from you because you're in mess. He's the God who in the midst of mess re reveals the nature, the glory, and the beauty of who he is. He's faithful when we're not. Amen. And so today I, I want to talk about a life that carries encounter because I think when I say the word encounter, often what we think of, and this is by no means me knocking this because to some extent we do experience this, but often when I say encounter, I think we think about um, how I felt God, right? Because we experience Him and that's beautiful. And, I, and we do feel him, and we do experience him. In fact, you need to go listen to last week. I spoke about the manifest presence of God. He desires to manifest his presence. But an encounter has to be more than just what I remember feeling like. It has to be something that takes root in my heart and life and changes the trajectory of my life and who I am. So if we can, let's turn to Luke chapter 1. And I, I want to lean into something. Obviously, next Sunday will be our Christmas service, and we'll, you know, talk about that. Um, but today, I want to just touch on something, and I, I want to highlight Mary. And I want to just look at this woman who has an encounter that changes the tra trajectory of her life, but not only that, it changes the world. One encounter. I want to present to you hope this morning that one encounter with God not only will change your life, but carries the power and potential to change the world around you. Not just in your generation, but for generations to come. See, if we, if we believe any less about the power of God, then we are limiting our experience of Him to a moment. God, when we encounter God, we experience Him in a moment, but it has to translate into a life lived. And I want to show you that the way it translates into a life lived is not because suddenly, thank God for the encounter, I have to now figure out how to live it. Encounters by nature are lived out. Okay. Is everyone okay? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm just going to read it passage of scripture, and then we're going to jump into this. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, the angel said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. First contact. Just the, she hasn't done anything. God sends angel Gabriel and says, This is what I want you to say. You're favored, and I'm with you. Hi. I love this. But she was greatly perplexed at what he said and kept carefully considering what kind of greeting this was. Because it's just too good to be true, right? Hold on. God sent you to tell me I'm favored and you're with me. I'm perplexed. How's that possible? The gospel's being preached to Mary before Jesus even died. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen carefully, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and eminent, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, or Israel, forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin and have no intimacy with any man? Then the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you like a cloud. For that reason, the holy, pure, sinless child shall be called the Son of God. And listen, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age and she who was, who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For with God, nothing is or ever shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left her. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm on this journey of learning how to read my Bible. I hope you like to read your Bible. And so when I read this, I'm learning to, to press into the story behind the story. Because I think we've got to be careful that we haven't become so familiar with stories that we read this and we go, I love this story. I read it every year at Christmas. And, you know, this is when the Virgin Mary and God came and conceived and then she carried Jesus. And, it's, you know, it's this beautiful story. Hold on a second. Pause. Rewind. This is nuts. Mary, who some scholars say she must have been somewhere around 14 or something at the time. She's this young girl who's just living her life. She's betrothed. She's engaged to Joseph. She's going to get married. She's going through all the feelings and the like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get married and life is starting to come together. And she probably has dreams and hopes and, and she probably imagines her life with Joseph. She probably has this idea of what life is going to look like as they serve the Lord together. Right? And then suddenly an angel gets sent from the Lord to her. Gabriel arrives and his first statement is, you're favored and, I'm, and God's with you. And she's perplexed. First of all, she's having an encounter with an angel, right? That's wild. So she's freaking out. She's afraid because the glory's there. If there's the angelic in the room, the glory's there because where they come from. And so she's perplexed because she's going, this doesn't make sense. Like, I know the law. I know that, you know, there's a whole thing that we've journeyed here as the people of God, but you're just rocking up and telling me God likes me? I haven't done anything. I'm, I'm, I'm a young lady. I, I'm not even married yet. I'm still betrothed. We haven't, even, we haven't even started our adventure of following the Lord together. But you just rock up and say, God likes me and he's with me. 
So she's perplexed, and then, and then she's afraid. And so he says, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. Now, I can imagine an encounter with an angel, and this angel's telling you you're favored with God. You're, you should be getting pretty excited. And yet, I look at what favored with God means, and we lean into this a little more, and suddenly the angel says, this is what's going to happen. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and overshadow you, and you're going to con- conceive. You're going to have a son. He's the son of God. You're going to give birth to him, and you need to call him Jesus. Here's the weight of this reality for Mary. She's never been with a man. She's young. She's not married yet, and she's just conceived. And the Lord says, you're favored. He gives her a promise of the assignment that she's called to carry. And the evidence and fruit of the promise, she doesn't get to see for a long time. This encounter that she experiences, I'm going to carry the Christ. I'm going to carry the Messiah in me, give birth to him, and raise him, and and commission him as a mother into what God's called him to do, to save existence, (laughs) the world, But I'm not going to see the evidence of what I'm paying a price for until many years from now. Meaning this, what comes with favor is great cost. And so she asked the question, she's saying, how's this going to happen? I've never been with a man. God says, I'm going to actually, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and overtake you and you're going to conceive. And then this response from Mary, I love this. The angel says to her, for with God, nothing is or ever shall be impossible. The statement that he gives to Mary. Now we have that on our fridge, but we should put it in context. What he's doing is he's giving her courage, saying, this encounter, this assignment that you've just received, it's going to cost you everything. But nothing's impossible with God. And then she says this, and this is what marks me. She goes, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. In this moment, there is no possible way Mary understands what's happening. She is receiving an instruction, an assignment in this encounter with God through an angel. And her whole life is about to be rocked, changed, and in some ways, it could feel like destroyed. Because the man she's about to marry isn't the biological father of this child. And when you study the story, we know that there was this fear in both Mary and Joseph that, hold on, like, everyone thinks that you actually are a loose woman who's been with another man while you were betrothed to me. And so here's Mary, favored of God, the Lord is with her, the loose woman. And that's the narrative. And I guarantee you, She never was able to explain or justify what's happened to her to people. She wasn't able to explain to people, no, you don't understand. Like, can you imagine? It's like Mary's pregnant and she's not even married yet. She's betrothed. And Joseph, you know, he's got to navigate this. Thank God he has an encounter with an angel so he can get on board. But there's this whole experience. And and the narrative is she's pregnant before she's married. And then can you imagine Mary going, no, you don't understand. God overshadowed me like a cloud. 
That's why I'm pregnant. Like, just, just put yourself in Mary's shoes. This is insane. This is an encounter with the living God that is absolutely wrecking her life. And her, her cry and her response to God is, let it be done to me according to your word. What is it about Mary that, that she could follow Jesus and stay faithful and steward this thing that God's given her to do, this assignment? What, how did she do it for all those years with the ridicule and the shame and the opinions and the gossip and the slander? What was it that she had in her? I believe it was an encounter and a heart after God because we see it when she sings this song from verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies and exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She's singing about the one she's carrying. I don't know if you're seeing that. Listen to this. For he has looked with loving care on the humble state of his maidservant. For behold, from now on, all generations will count me blessed and happy and favored by God. I don't know if you're seeing this. She's starting to realize, okay, my life is not my own. Whatever I have to walk through on this earth, I endure for the sake of what he's put inside of me. He has entrusted to me the Savior of the world, the Messiah, that I would give birth to the Messiah who will bring salvation to the earth. She's going to go through a whole bunch of trials and struggles and troubles. But she's beginning to look at something greater than her own life. She's beginning to see the dream of God. Can you see this? She's going, if it costs me everything, just let it be done to me according to your word. That your dream would be known through my heart. That actually generations from now will look back and see the dream of God in my life. But what people have forgotten is that those that were around her at the time weren't seeing that. Does that make sense? And so I'm sitting with this and, and wrestling and saying, God, this is incredible because this is, one of, this is probably one of the most profound biblical encounters that we can study where we go, a human woman conceived. God put Christ in her. And I want to say this, Mary was a prophetic statement, a prophetic declaration of the new covenant believer to come. She was the first one to carry Christ in her, the hope of glory. So if we look at Mary's life, we can learn a lot about what it means to carry Christ. Here's what I want us to see in this story. The power of an encounter is seen in how it's lived out. Because Mary could have stopped at the angel's instruction and just said, this is awesome, I like this encounter, but the assignment, nope, no way. Find someone else. She has an encounter with the living God, with an angel that's carrying an assignment and a message. And before the assignment comes this declaration from the Father's heart, I like you, you're favored by me, I love you, and I'm with you. And she has this encounter, and out of an encounter with the nature of God comes an assignment that changes the world. When we become a people of encounter, when we encounter the nature of God, it, by nature of who He is, if you encounter Him, there is going to be, there's going to come a point of translation where it begins to move from a moment of receiving into God beginning to pour out His dream and His heart through my life. It's impossible to be a people of encounter but never live for His dream. 
If we're a people of encounters, we have a bunch of experiences, but we don't see the dream of God lived out, then I question what we're encountering. Because I believe in the experience, the manifest presence of God. I preached it last week. But if, we're, if we have experience without transformation, who are we experiencing? I don't think it's possible to come into a place of encounter with God and not be on the journey of moving into the fullness of His dream. If you, can, if you encounter God, can experience Him and then actually live like you want nothing to do with Him, something's missing. See, encounters with God change our lives because His presence changes us, shapes us, and teaches us. Amen? So I'm going to say this sentence and I'll, I'll unpack it. God encounters birth God assignments. God encounters birth God assignments. A lot of the time as the church, especially in the Western context, we confuse purpose and plan. So we're looking, we're constantly going, I'm looking for my purpose in life. You all have the same purpose. You are not unique in your purpose. You are, your purpose in life is to live in the fullness of intimacy and oneness with Christ that he paid for. It's the only thing that will satisfy you. What you do with your life is not your purpose. It's the plan. And here's the thing about the plan. Plans change. If your plan becomes your purpose, you are going to live the most up and down, all over the place life because the moment the plan changes, your purpose gets rocked. But if your purpose is found in knowing Jesus, no matter where God puts you, the plan can change 365 times in a year. And wherever God puts you, you shine because your purpose is immovable. Does that make sense? So God encounters both God assignments. And we cannot put our identity in the assignment because when the assignment changes, we need to change with it. Let me, let me give an example. If your identity is in your assignment, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start this business. So you start the business. And God begins to breathe on it. He begins to move. He does incredible things. Suddenly, you get so wrapped up in what God's doing that your identity gets wrapped up in your assignment. And then five, ten years after that, God says, okay, sell the business and go live in the sticks and be a missionary. And we go, that God would never say that to me. He's blessed this business. And so then we rebuke that word, and we just completely, there's no ways. Uh, no, no, God's hand is on this business because this is where the money is. The evidence of God is here. And then we don't move. And because we, we, we're not moving because our identity is there, and if I lose the business, I lose who I am. Well, let's, let's even change it and say, if the business isn't doing well, I'm not doing well. These are good measurements in our lives for where we have found purpose and identity. Can I thrive when situation, circumstance, and even my assignments or the plans in my life are not going well? Can I thrive? Because what is my definition of thriving in life? Because if I know him and I have him, and if he's the all-sufficient one, and if he's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness, I have everything I need. The world can fall apart around me. As long as I have Christ, I'll, I'll be immovable and steadfast in the one thing. I live to know, to know him and to make him known. See, we need to 
be a people that can be faithful with assignments but steadfast in our purpose. Tomorrow, God could wake me up and say, Con, you're no longer, the assignment is no longer to lead 24 7, it's to do something else. And there's another to take your place. And if, I, if this becomes more about me, then I will refuse to let something go into what God wants to take it into. I will hold it back because my identity is in there. But if I can keep my identity, my purpose in Him, then I can be a faithful steward. As long as He has me in this assignment, I'll be faithful to see it through. And when He shifts the assignment, I can shift with Him. I can release grace upon grace. I love that. <laughs> and I can shift into the new assignment that he's given to me because my purpose is immovable. I have not changed. What you got from me here, you will get from me in the new assignment. That's what it means to live a consistent, steadfast life in Christ. Amen? Many of us have been derailed in our walks with Jesus because we didn't know how to shift assignments. We didn't realize that our purpose and our identity was found in what we were doing, not in who we are in him. And that's simple, but it's probably the most profound thing we can wrestle with. And this is for every single one of us. We all have this in different areas of our lives. So look at Mary. There's a couple of things I want to highlight in, in what happens to her here. We need to recognize the weight of the encounter. The weight of the encounter is this. She experienced God and everything changed. Mary had to lay down what she envisioned her life looking like. Mary had, a, had an idea, at least a, an excited, hopeful heart, postured in this place of like, I'm going to marry Joseph, and we're going to go on this beautiful adventure and have kids and serve the Lord, and he's, going to, you know, he's a carpenter, and so we'll have this beautiful family business and family home, and we'll tithe and serve the Lord, and we're just going to be faithful lovers of God. There's nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. But an encounter comes, and God says, I'm going to change everything about who you are. You ready? And here's the thing. Encounters with God does not mean easy life. Encounters with God doesn't mean, thank God I had a great encounter with him, so now life's going to be so much easier. No, it got harder. But what's interesting to me is that Mary, we had the privilege, when I took a team to Turkey, we went to Ephesus, and then we went up into the mountains to the house of Mary where John took Mary up into the mountains. Because just think about this. When Jesus had died, was ascended, and Christianity exploded, his mom was still alive. So the historians write, the masses would look for her. Because they would, they would go, that's the woman who gave birth to the Messiah, the one that we follow, Jesus. So John, being the faithful disciple that he was, took her into the mountains, to a little house in the mountains, and hid her there until the end of her life. And we went to this house. Just to tell you this crazy story, the way this house was found was a woman a couple hundred years ago had a vision. They were looking for it because they knew the stories and they were trying to find where this took place. And this woman had a vision of exactly the location of where this place is. And that's how they found it. And they had to obviously excavate and whatever and they found this, this house. But anyway, my point is, When we were there at this little house, we're walking around, and obviously it's super Catholic now, um, but we're walking around, and, and I'm looking at the trees, and I'm looking at the mountains, and everyone's looking at the 
ruins, and I'm looking at like, I'm going, these mountains were here. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I want to be hungry for the word like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> the mountains, they're the same mountains. I remember when we were in Antakya and Antioch, I'm looking at the mountains, these are the same mountains, it's the same valley that I'm reading about. Anyway, so I'm looking at these trees, I'm looking at the mountains, and I'm just thinking about Mary. And I'm thinking about this woman who's sitting at the end of her life in the mountains, looking back at her life. And I reckon she would have thought, that day when I was 14, whatever age she was, when he overshadowed me and the glory of the Lord filled my life and I made a decision to lay it all down. Every desire, every dream, everything I envisioned for my life, I laid it down and I endured hardship and I endured gossip and slander and I had to give birth in a barn. They rejected me at the inns and they, and I reckon she would think about Joseph and just go, thank you, God. Because remember, he also, he died when Jesus was young. So there was a large part of Jesus' life where she was a single mom with other brothers and sisters. And I'm just thinking about this woman going, she's looking back, thinking of her life, how she raised the Messiah and then how she also raised his brothers and sisters. And this life lived with one single purpose and pursuit, one assignment, and all she did was just stay faithful to that one thing. Everything else fell away. Every other goal or aspiration in life fell away. And it was God put something in me that he called me to birth, that he's called me to steward so that the earth would receive the Messiah. That was the mandate of her life. And she lived it faithfully all the way through. Can you imagine when it came time that Jesus had to leave home? She's a mother. But she knows the assignment and she's faithful to release him into knowing what he's going to do. Knowing there's this connection between Mary and her son, knowing why he's here. She received the instruction from the Lord. She knows he's going to give his life for the world. And then thinking she was there at the cross and she watched him. And I guarantee you time and time again, she must have wrestled with the question, why is it so hard? It's cost her everything. This encounter with Jesus, this encounter with an angel, this, the, having the Christ put inside of her, she carried him, she birthed him, she held him, she fed him, she nurtured him, she raised him, she watched him die. And she watched him be raised from the dead. And then she, I'm sure she was there, watched him ascended. But here's the thing, her son was her God. Her son was her Lord. And there, there must have been this wrestle in her heart where she had to come to a place of going, there's this moment where I, I shift from being your mother to being your servant. That, 
The same way I yielded to the Father in the beginning, I yield to you as my king. Even though I patched up your wounds when you fell, even though I helped you understand things and educated you, walked with you, there comes a moment where it shifted and it was no longer my son, it was my Lord. And I believe that Jesus, he's hanging on the cross and he's about to give his life and he looks at his mother and he says, John, behold your mom, your mother. Mother, behold your son. And what he's saying to her is your assignment is complete. You did it. You were faithful. You endured. You stuck it out. All the slander and the stuff you had to go through and the abuse and the whatever. You stuck it out. And we did it. It's almost this prophetic statement. It's this prophetic picture of what we're going to receive when we get to that moment standing before him. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You carried me. You birthed what I put inside of you. And you faithfully stewarded the assignments of God that I put in your heart and your life. This is eternity. The weight of encounter that she experienced as a young woman changed everything about her life. The cost of encounter was that people would never understand, except her Lord, who happened to be her son. And I think Jesus would have taken comfort in his mother when he went through stuff. Because his mother understood the price of what was being paid. She was carrying it with him. Is that not a beautiful picture of take up your cross and follow me? That in the same way her son would be crucified, she lived a crucified life. Is he not worthy of our whole life? And let me tell you, Mary did not get everything right. So once again, don't go back to the law when you hear a preach like this. Because she lost him for three days when he was 12. Like, (laughs) I'm a new parent. For you to go three days and only on the third day go, we actually have a child. Where is he? And then panic and look for him and he's in his father's house. See, she didn't get it all right. She wasn't this perfect steward. She was just a laid down, yielded lover of God who said, let it be done to me according to your assignment. What you've asked of me, let it be done. Are you with me? So the weight of encounter, the cost of encounter, the process after encounter. See, the assignment that was birthed in that encounter for Mary required faithfulness, not perfection. Faithfulness. Her response to the encounter was simply a yielded yes. It was simply surrender. How could it be anything else when she never understood it in the first place? And I guarantee you when she gave birth to him, even though she had seen an angel, there must have been this wrestling in her heart of like, could this be the Messiah in a frail, 
form of a baby. And again, I'm, I'm taken by the nature of God going, he is going to do something that's going to change existence. It's going to, it's going to save humanity for all time. And the way he chooses to do it is as the most frail, humble, weak, broken thing, a baby human. And he goes, I am not intimidated by the mess. I am so secure in who I am as God that I will be born in a manger, in a stable or a barn somewhere. In the midst of, of murder and massacre as babies are being killed. In the midst of oppression of the Jews like never seen before. Up until that time, it's the, the greatest oppression of the, literally, the Roman oppression was brutal. And yet here's Jesus going, I'm going to come right into the midst of that as a baby. And that's how I introduce the salvation of the world. There had to have been days where Mary was wrestling with these things in her heart. But what was sustaining her? She'd experienced the living God. She was living out encounter that had marked and changed her life. I'll say this again. Mary was a prophetic sign of what was to come. The new covenant believer. God chose a yielded servant to introduce the Messiah to a broken world. And he's still doing that today. Are you seeing this? He just used a yielded servant to introduce the Messiah to a broken world. And that's what he's doing through your life today. So I want to ask you this question. Do we know the precious treasure that we carry? I reckon on the days when Mary felt most defeated, she would remind herself of the one she carries. Those nine months of carrying Jesus in the womb must have been horrific. But I think she had this revelation because of what she had encountered, that she was carrying the hope of glory, that it was worth it to endure situation and circumstance to see the fulfillment of what was in her. Have we become familiar with what we thought we knew instead of living in the now of his presence in us? I want to ask you that question. Have we become familiar with what we thought we knew about God. And we're missing the moment today to live in the now of His presence in us. That I carry Him. I carry this precious treasure. It's the Spirit of Christ. He's one with me. I carry Him and I introduce Him to the world. Dare I say, and please hear this right, I'm not, I know that the Catholic Church maybe took it really way too far, but dare I say that the global church is called to carry a mandate like Mary. We don't have to honor her wrongly because she would tell you not to. But can I, can I say that we carry the mandate, the same mandate that she carried, to carry Christ on the earth, to birth the dream of God, to steward the revelation and the knowledge of who he is until all come to know him. Just like Mary, do we allow him to overtake and fill our lives? If everything changed for Mary, are we okay with everything changing for us?
Maybe right now, sorry, that's my baby. No, her sounds. Um, maybe for us, we've been in a place where majority of our Christian walk, our Christian life, has been just hanging on to what God can do for us, hoping for a better day. And yet, I'm, I'm telling you, through my heart today, He's so kind and He's so beautiful and He loves you so much that He holds us in that place. But there is an invitation to the church in this hour where God is saying, I've actually called you to carry my glory. I've actually called you to steward the presence and the government of God in you and through your life. And it's your purpose. And there's going to be assignments that I give you on the earth that I'm calling you to fulfill. And we have to be a people of encounter that birth those assignments so that we can continue to be faithful with what he's given us. And right now, as the church, I think if we, can, if we can become a people of encounter and allow God to make us faithful stewards of assignments, we are going to see the purpose of the church fulfilled on the earth. The Great Commission will be fulfilled. Because the Great Commission is not just about getting a message out there. It's about worship filling the nations. Disciples are worshipers, not converts. So when we make disciples, we are making followers of Jesus, worshipers of Jesus that are filling the nations with worship and the fragrance of who he is. I guarantee you when Mary was at Pentecost, when she heard the sound and she began to hear the multitudes and the languages and, and the diversity that exploded from the birth of the church, something must have lit up in her heart and gone, this is what we paid a price for. This is why we endured. Yes, I lost my husband early. Yes, I went through all the pain of, of misunderstanding and gossip and slander. And yes, I watched my son get killed. And yes, I went through things that the world would say no good person should go through. But I stand in the fulfillment or the beginning of the dream of God for Mary's, the beginning of the fulfillment. She stands in it, and I guarantee you she began to feel why she's alive. Her purpose lit up inside of her, and it doesn't matter. I can endure hardship. I can endure change. I can go through the difficulties. I can go through the things that don't make sense to me, and why is God allowing this to happen to me, and why are these situations? I can endure all of it without understanding because this thing, this one thing that's lighting up inside of my heart, it's why I'm alive. And that's what I was talking about last week. I'm immovable in that one thing. You can strip me of everything and you will find that one thing. I'm carrying the king of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not me. It's not you. It's not this vessel. We are, we are dust. And yet he wants to make you his home and his temple. And so we just yield to him and we say, God, this is not about me getting it right. This is about me saying, yes, let it be done to me according to what you say. And if I live my life in that place, you are not concerned with the failures and mistakes. You took care of it on the cross. You are looking for a people that will yield to you. And when you, when you yield to God, he takes your life and he says, I can use you for my glory. I can birth the dream of God. I can steward the dream of God on the earth. And suddenly the emphasis, and it's happening right now across the nations, the emphasis is going to shift. And it's because of the church. As the church catches this revelation, the emphasis moves from trying to get it right to seeing him in his beauty and splendor. 
And suddenly the message is changing. It has to change in the church. It cannot be a sin-conscious message. It has to be Christ-conscious. It has to be about who He is and what He's worth and the beauty of Jesus because it's only when I see that that I'll give my whole life. See, when I'm looking here, sin-consciousness produces self-righteousness and self-righteousness produces uh, a a self-centered life, self-preservation, building the self-empire to make myself feel better And the reality is it's killing me because the wages of sin is death. And we go, that means if you sin, you die. No, the mentality of sin kills you because the mentality of sin is pointing at you all the time. It is saying you're not enough, you're not worthy, you didn't get it right. And then what happens is we don't know how to deal with that for ourselves, so we point point the finger at others. I don't know how to face my own inadequacy, so I'd rather point the inadequacies of others out. And the sin conscious. Mentality is destroying people. It's destroying the church that preaches that message. But now, God's doing this across the nations where it's shifting. It's moving from sin conscious to Christ conscious. And those, the remnant of God, those that will yield their hearts to Him, who will encounter Him and then give themselves to Him and just say, God, you can have my little life. You can have my weakness. You can have what I have to give, which is pretty much nothing. But you, you like to take nothing and do the most extraordinary, world-changing things through nothing. And the reason He likes to do that is because He gets the glory through your nothingness. And to you, it's nothing. But to Him, you're His son or daughter. So he's taking pleasure in establishing his kingdom in and through you, seeing the dream of God fulfilled, and he knows better than you that that's the only thing that satisfies you. That in eternity, what you built on this earth counts for nothing. But what you built for him is everything. Please, I'm crying out to our church, our community, saying, you do not want to stand before Jesus one day and say, I worked really hard and built a great empire. Because he's going to look at you and say, it's nothing. He's going to say, did you learn to love? He's going to say, what did you do with the gospel? He's going to say, did you let the gospel change your heart? And did you say yes to my dream? Because that's what you were born for. You know, to be sanctified, the word sanctified, it means to operate according to your original purpose. Adam and Eve were not created to rule and reign for their own empire. They were created to rule and reign and take dominion for what? To expand the government of God. To expand the glory of God. That what was in the garden would take over the whole earth. So, if we're born again, if you have the spirit of Jesus inside of you, there's something about the dream of God that lights you up like nothing else on the face of the earth. It's just every other aspiration, every other desire, every other goal, it is so empty in comparison to Christ. It's why Paul can write. I mean, Paul, it's not like he was, you know, really struggling before Christ. He was actually doing pretty well. He was Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He's pretty successful in his industry. And yet he says, I'm, I'm, I'm a... I'm a you know, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm the guy. I'm the, I'm, I, was, I was the man, and I counted all as loss. In fact, he, he uses even more extreme words, as dung. I'm sure there's a good Afrikaans word I could plug in there. Like, as, you know? 
as absolute rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, either that's a nice religious statement or Paul experienced something that changed everything. Like Mary did, like Moses did, like David did, like Peter and the disciples did, like Fatini at the well, like she did. Like every person that had any experience or encounter with Jesus, it changed everything. It changed everything. So this December, as a church, there's an invitation every December, but we're in this one. This December, there's an invitation not just to sing Jingle Bells and, and have good food. That's amazing, and the Lord loves that. Not so much Jingle Bells, but the good food. <laughs> but the invitation is this. We can lean in to the fullness of what he paid for and what he's given us and have an expectation that Life as I know it is about to change forever. Look at me this morning. You're born to fly. You're born to run. You're born to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting right here in our city. Thank you. Why, why am I saying that? Because when it gets rough, because we live in a broken world, it got rough for Mary. It's going to get rough. It's going to get worse. If they hated Jesus, they'll hate us. So it, <laughs> God's kingdom is not a kingdom of industries. It's a kingdom of hearts. So our job is not to transform industries in this world or spheres of influence. It's all crashing. But the hearts inside of these industries, inside of these spheres of influence. That's what we're after. Those are nations. Those are people groups. So when God places you in an industry or in a sphere of influence, it's not to save the industry or the sphere of influence. It's to save those in it. So you're born to fly. You're born to run. And that's why I'm telling you what we're going to see is the true church that Jesus is building. The church that's surrendered and yielded to his leadership. They are not about sin consciousness. They're looking at him, wrapped up in him. People get saved there. They don't get judged. They get saved and healed and delivered and restored and made whole and commissioned and lit on fire and set on fire into the destiny of heaven. They get catapulted into their created purpose, their original design. Because everyone in that community knows the same thing. We all need him. And because we have him, I died. He's alive in me. I used to have dreams and plans and hopes to play for Manchester United. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. <laughs> Definitely not today. Like I said, I used to. <laughs> I used to have it. But it died. Why? It would never have satisfied me. I really did think I was good enough. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> Some of you are like, what a weird dream. Now listen, I had the left foot. I'm, t I'm joking, I'm joking. So what I'm saying to you, I'm done. I want to encourage us and just say this. You were born for the dream of God. When we encounter him, as we close this series, God of encounters, this is what I want to say to us. 
God is inviting us into a lifestyle of encounters that translates into a lifestyle of transformation, presence, and power. It'll cost you everything. It doesn't go according to plan. It can be painful. It can be painful. And it's him. Because in the midst of these things, he's revealing himself. Jesus, he's, he's as I call him, a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with pain and sorrow. He sympathizes with our weakness. He knows what situation and circumstance can do to the human heart. But there is something that matters more. And I think it's Dan Moller who says, don't let something matter more that doesn't matter most. So as we become a people of encounter, people of his presence, we should expect that that makes us a people of God assignments. And for some of us, I mean, I'm, I'm really passionate about the nations because it's just the Bible, but God's going to place you in, in spheres of influence, in nations, in places, even in our city. God's going to put you in situations and circumstances you didn't expect to be in. The reason is it's not for you. It's his dream. You're, you're called to be faithful, not perfect. He's perfect. Just be faithful with stewarding what he's put inside of you. You carry him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me this morning? The true, the true gospel of Jesus is going to grab the church from the youngest to the oldest. It's, uh, religion is, is where we get tamed to age groups, categories. and um, I mean, we're praying for our kids' ministry right now because we're going, God, you have such a fiery heart for our kids. And you want to arrest their hearts with the goodness of the gospel even at a young age. And so from the youngest to the oldest, our prayer is, God, Grab a hold of the heart of 24-7 and let us burn for you. Amen? Amen. Won't you lift your hands? Holy Spirit, I thank you for what we've been leaning into as a community over these last six weeks. And as we're approaching the end of the year, God, I'm asking that you would do what no sermon could do. That sermons don't change us, they just invite us. But the presence of God the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of Jesus changes our hearts. And so God of encounters, God of the Bible, we just set ourselves apart as a people and say, we want to be a people for your own possession, that you can fill us, lead us, possess us, have us, God. We are yours. Lord, like Mary, we respond to the encounter with, with you, with Jesus, and we just say, let it be done to us according to your word, your heart, your instruction. We lay down our own dreams. We lay down our own goals, our own aspirations. We lay it down. And if it's painful, it's only because we're crucifying it. But once it's crucified, it's done. And so, Lord, we just allow you to rid us of, of selfish ambition so that we can be filled with holy ambition, that we can live for your dream, that we can carry your heart, that we can be faithful in the things you've called us to do. And God, when there's change, shift, or situational things happening in our, in our lives, thank you that we will not be swayed by the things of this earth, by situational circumstance, but we will live faithful in our purpose, which is you. Jesus, I'm praying that out of this house, you will mark sons and daughters that will carry the gospel to the ends of our city, the ends of our nation, and the ends of the earth. Make us a radical, bold, 
servant-hearted, mercy-filled, gracious people who carry the heart and nature of Jesus to every lost son and daughter. I release the anointing of the Holy Spirit over this room, and I pray for encounters for every heart, that as we go from this room, we, we move in the spirit of encounter to receive encounters from you, but also because we owe the world an encounter with Jesus, that what you have done in us, you want to do through us. And so we say, yes, Jesus, do it. What you want to do in us, do it through us, that, that God, we would be walking, living expressions of the heart of God. And I ask, Lord, even in this time of rest and time together as family, that in this time of rest, we would be marked by encounters, that in this time of, of being able to pause, of being able to be with family, of being able to rest and, and take time to reflect, God, that we wouldn't reflect on things that are not you. But we would look forward into 2024 and say, God, redesign whatever you need to design in our hearts so that we can be faithful and yielded to what you've called us to do. So we love you. We bless you. I release the peace of God over this house. I release the fire of the gospel. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are building your church, that Jesus, you are building your church. And we don't want to be a part of anything that you're not building. And so we say thank you for 2023. Thank you that your leadership is perfect in our lives and in this house, and that we can walk forward with confidence in the nature and the goodness of who you are. I release the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit in this room over our hearts and lives, and we just say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start right here in our hearts unto the ends of the earth. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Love you. Enjoy times of rest. We're going to have a beautiful celebration next week, Sunday. Um, and I uh, can't wait just to take a, a moment as a family to lean into that and, and just to celebrate Jesus, just to thank Him for what He's done. Have a beautiful lunch, whatever you're doing today. Um, we, if you need prayer, we're here. Please come for prayer. Um, and I want to just ask you in this time of rest, just get excited. I believe as we're praying for 2024, God's calling us to greater levels of faith, greater uh, expressions of obedience than ever before. I have a, a thing in my heart where the Lord said, raise half a million for missions. Um, that's just like one of the things. So God's going to give you things now that he's called you to steward. Get excited about it. Get front-footed in faith um, in that space of rest. Amen. Love you. Bless you. See you soon. And uh, have a beautiful day. Thank you, guys.